Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us listening here today and happy to have our crew here to discuss some topics. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Brad. Dustin. Good morning, Brad. Bob. Good morning, Brad. And Philip. Hey, Brad. So we're happy to have them here because we're going to talk a little bit about family farms and production, as well as some pre-weaning pneumonia and some of the pros and cons. I know some people are considering early weaning on calves, especially with the dry weather. So We'll get into those topics. Before we get there, I wanted to tell you guys I upgraded. We've got some software that I use for our home accounting, and then it just went through an upgrade, and it went to the website, and now I'm having trouble with it. And it may be better, but I knew how to work the old version. So I went and I told my wife, I said, you know, I think I've become one of those people. You've who become is, the old guy. I, that's what I said. Is I said, I think I've become the old guy who doesn't want anything to change. And do you know what her response was? It's some probably something job. that she probably said, you are. She said, you've been that way for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Which she's probably right. <laughs> she's exactly right. Do you guys have anything like that, that you're, you're reluctant to change when you come out with the new thing that may be better, but it's different than what you've done before? Well, my flip phone. <laughs> I, I think I was the last one in this group to actually ditch the flip phone. and uh, it's, it's, like, it's not better. You still miss it, don't you? I do. It's not better. <laughs> it's just more distracting. Uh, mine was tractors. Uh, we did a little farm cleanup here a few weeks ago at, at the original family farm. And the new tractor, too many buttons and levers. So I just hopped on the 4020 and went. Yeah, so, I know how to run that thing. Oh, I thought I know you how were going to say switching from horses to. Uh, <laughs> 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 Not quite that far. No. But, you know, at some point that was something for somebody to say. Yeah, yeah I know how to work the horse. So I don't need a new one. But speaking, speaking of family farms, and, and Dustin, you highlighted some of this because it came out from USDA Economic Research Service, and they talked about family farms and productions. And w one of the take-homes, and there were several take-homes in this, but one of the take-homes is most of the production, whether we talk about beef or swine or other crops, most of it is from family farms, but they're different sized farms, small, mid, and large. And I know you had some thoughts as you saw this come out. Yeah, so the USDA Economic Research Service, they do a lot of good work. Uh, they put out a lot of good reports. And one report that came out earlier this year was looking at the diversity of family farms or diversity of farms in the U.S. And lots of statistics, a lot of data, a lot of figures. And so I just pulled a few things out that I thought were interesting. We've talked about these on previous podcasts, but just some things I think for our listeners just to keep in mind. And so just some questions I'll, I'll pose to you guys. So we're talking about small family farm and the way they define small family farm is the gross cash farm income of $350,000 or less. The way the USDA defines a farm is anything that has $1,000 in, I think it's sales in a given year. And so in 2020, can you guys tell me what percent of farms were considered small family farms? So what percent mm -hmm. of farms? So between, all farm basically between 1,000 and 50,000. In sales. In sales. I'm going to say probably at least more than half. Well, you know, and we might be biased a little bit because in the beef industry, we've got a lot of small farms. Mm -hmm. the, the other one, and, and, and again, the reason I think some of us struggle is you've got families and people that are in transition. So I can think of some young guys in my community who are starting a hay business, but then they, they work in town as well, but they, they'd like to come back to the farm. So I bet they're between that. That is, so they consider that what they call an off-farm occupation farm. Yeah. Off-farm occupation. And I think, and these guys that I'm thinking of are, are relatively young, and I'll bet they'll be a mid-sized family farm in a decade or two. 
but right now they're in that transition phase where they're trying to build a, an agricultural operation while they generate income other ways as well. So I think I mean, he's looking for a percent. Yeah, <sighs> give him a percent. I'm just not a, names of people. I'm giving him a story. Yeah, so. it's not what he wanted. <laughs> but so I think those are fairly common for cow calf, for hay production, for some other things. I don't know that they're as common in other crops that, that you basically either dive in full force or you don't. So all things considered, I'm going to go with Philip. Well, actually, I'll go a little, just so we get a different number. I'll go a little below. He said 50%. I'm going to say 45%. 37%. And it's percent of farms, not percent of income, right? Of value. Of total farms. Yeah. I'll say 85. Uh, it was, it's 89. 89% oh. of all total farms are considered oh. small family farms. Good job, Brian. Yes. So then following up with this small family farm, what percent of the land is operated by small family farms? So think about all the land in the United States. What percent of that is controlled or being farmed? By I, I'm going to say that's almost the inverse. I was going to flip whatever whatever Brian said so that the 25 percent. Yeah, I'm going to stay with my 37 percent. It's it does come down. Uh, 48 percent is what what they're reporting. That's what Brian was going. I was going to say half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so the final question then is: So now we're thinking about value of production. So which is what Brian was asking earlier. So what share of the value production is coming from small family farms? Yeah, this one, I think this is the harder number because I think large farms, although small in number, contribute to a lot of value. So I'm going to say 37% because Brad said that. Yeah, I'm going to go lower this time. I'm going to go with 22%. Yeah, I think I'm going to be around that 15 to 20%. I think it's going to be down there. I'll go 25 just to kind of slip in between those guys. Uh, it was 20% there. So you've got almost 90% of the farms are small family farms, but only 20% of the value of production. Now, if you combine large and small together, family farms, I think 98% of total farms in the yeah. U.S. So you got 2% are non-family farms. So think public corporations or private corporation farms. And then 87% of total production is coming from our family farms. Yeah, now, and I, I think that's what a lot of this report, there's a lot more statistics, data. As you can see, as you're looking at, uh, you can break it out by commodities. But I think one of the take-homes is much of the production comes from a family farm of some sort. And this is an area that, as we talk about in ag, supporting those farms at different levels is important and they have different needs when they move from small to medium to large and we think i think about it from the lens and bob you mentioned it from the beef industry there's 725,000 beef producers many of them have what would be considered by these standards a small farm they still have needs for health nutrition management all of the issues absolutely into it thanks dustin that was a, a good topic and thinking about family farms and maintaining those one of the things that has come up and i think a a couple of you guys bob and philip have been contacted by folks talking about what are the options when we're running out of grass and we want to manage the cows and do some things a little bit differently to both save grass and keep condition on the cows as we go into fall and one of those options is early weaning so maybe tell us a little bit about that and what are the pros and cons well, I'll start with, I think that early weaning is, is doable from a calf health standpoint. Actually, these calves, if, and by early weaning, I'm thinking of, you know, 80 days or older. And so um, that would be most calves by now. And they can be weaned fairly well. Uh, they need a good diet, but it's not a big health concern. So at least it, it rises to the level of it's something you can consider. There are some advantages and disadvantages as far as 
my overall uh, feed costs and getting some body condition on the cows, but at least it's doable. Yeah, it is doable. And I think you get kind of three options. If you if you need to early wean those kids to save forage, save body condition on the cows, or get cows back into body condition score cheaply this late summer and fall before you get into winter and, and next spring, you can either you know sell them right now as you know 300 pound calves, or you keep them and you got and you grow them and then you got to then sell them at normal weaning time, or you keep them and retain ownership through the feed yard. And there's benefits and and disadvantages for each. I mean, if selling them right now is fairly easy on you because well, you just get rid of them. Um, you don't have to to do anything special. But there's going to be some loss in value there. I mean, 300 pound calf is worth more per pound, but he's not worth as much per head. So you're you're losing some value there. But the other option is if you're going to keep them, you've got to feed them. And I mean, and feed them in a, in a grass trap or dry lot or something, you can't just turn them out on grass because they will not do well on grass alone. They're going to need grain uh, and not really a grain supplement. They're going to need a grain feed. They need to be eating about 2% of their body weight, at least in a grain, and then let them free choice graze or hay or whatever on top of that. But how are you going to transition them to that? So I want to follow up on that. So you think about these calves and a lot of times we wean calves, they're older. Many times they've already started to self wean, right? They're eating grass. They're not just on mother's milk. You're talking about calves at this stage. Most of their diet is from milk. Can I just cold transition them and put them on grain, put them on 2% at the start, or how do I start them? You may want to maybe give them a little bit of grain in the creep feed type of situation to begin with. I'm trying to think back. There's There were some studies that I wasn't directly involved with but was around that they cold weaned them. I mean, they, they weaned them just like you would a seven-month calf, pull them off the cow, and then, you know, they put grain and hay in front of them, and, and there they go. Yeah, when I've been involved with some of these, a couple of things that were key seemed like really good quality grass hay um, was important. So, again, kind of putting putting that hay in front of them that had been harvested early. And, a, a you know, a lot of times, you know, soy holes, corn gluten, something like that that was pretty palatable and could get their intake up pretty fast. And so it be done relatively rapidly. But these these are, you know, corn was kind of limited. You wouldn't give a lot of corn during this transition may not go right into a wet feed like a, a, a silage or something like that, which right now we, we don't really have any fresh silage. But y- you'd want to go with something where you can get their dry matter intake up pretty good because they're not they're not used to eating a wet feed or, or anything like that. So something that's recognizable to the calf and pretty high quality. So, Dustin, any thoughts on or tools on how I'd figure out, is this a good idea for my operation or not? Uh, the only thing I was going to add is, is you know, in addition to some of the costs that, you know, Philip talked about, there's also risk, right? Price risk. The longer you keep them, I'm sure there's other risks, production risk, you know, maybe they get sick, maybe they die. So there's, you got to keep that in, take that into account as well. There are some tools, you know, Ag Manager, University of Nebraska, Lincoln's got what they call a calculator. You can pencil out all these additional costs and, and different prices and then kind of you know, look at the break-evens of, of the different scenarios. But that's what I'd recommend is just kind of pencil it out to figure out of all the possible scenarios which might be best for your operation. So there's there's value to the cows, potentially, getting those calves off, and then we can get them bred back. But then I have to decide what to do with those calves. And if I wean them early, Dustin mentioned health issues. Brian, are there any 
health issues I would think about in those young calves compared to when I typically wean them or same issues that I'd expect? Um, like Bob said, there's really not a lot of health disadvantages to early weaning beyond what you see in a normal weaning period. So, you know, it is, it is a period of physiologic stress, right? We've changed your environment. We've changed. So they, they are experiencing some stress. So, which kind of reduces their, not their immunity, their ability, their immune system to respond. So, uh, but, but nothing specific that early weaning. So we'd still watch for, you know, primarily it's going to be respiratory disease, right? That's what we typically see at weaning time. And that's what we could see here with early weaning, but not more prone to it than than at normal weaning absolutely the nutritional <coughs> and, and philip you mentioned three options right so i i could sell them right away i could keep them for a while after weaning or i could retain ownership as a, as if i sell them right away you said i'm not going to get as much dollar value but if i want to if i want to keep them for a while but i'm going to have to pencil out that cost of feed because it's it's all on the nutrition side and there we might need to think about cost of gain on those calves. So what kind of gain would you expect I could get feeding them the appropriate ration? You should get a gain around two pounds per day or a little bit better. I mean, feeding them, you know, a diet that's uh, about 70% concentrate or, or so, then you should get about two pounds a day. And it, the thing about these, these little calves is they convert very, very well. You get that ration together you can get feed conversions around three to four pounds of feed per pound of gain. So they, they convert very, very well. Which is, which is excellent compared to when we've talked some in, in the past about, and you mentioned I might want to put them on a creep feeder to get them started, to show them what feed is. But some of those conversions, if I just throw a creep feeder out and leave the calves out there, my conversions may be 15 to 17 to one. So much better if I just wean them and get them there. The other thing I think about related to drought is if we talked about early preg check last week, this may be a year if you want to get some of those cows out of there sooner so there's less pressure on the pasture, those open ones would be the first ones to go. Yeah, and I think you mentioned, you just made a comment, Brad, that on the feeding side, not only do you want a super palatable feed, but lots of bunk space and easy access when you start this. So kind of overdo the bunk space, really. You're absolutely right, because I talked to somebody the other day, and and there are physical impediments, right? If my facility is set up for feeding 500 or 600 pound calves, mm -hmm. you can have high trough disease, right? Where they, <laughs> they can't get up to where they need to go because I don't have enough pad there. So great point, make sure my facilities are set up for this as well. So good, good discussion there. And I wanna switch to a different health topic. This time of year, we'll sometimes on cow-calf operations have summer pneumonia or pre-weaning pneumonia. And it doesn't happen in every operation and it can be a very frustrating issue, but a lot of times it happens four to five, when the calves are four, five, six months old. And this is a little bit different than when we typically talk about BRD or bovine respiratory disease. This affects calves and you picture that calf in your mind that's at high risk for BRD. He's thin, maybe doesn't look quite as good as the others. Summertime pneumonia affects some of our bigger, better doing calves why is that, Bob? Well, it is a frustrating time if you deal with these, these suckling calf pneumonias here. Calves that are still with their mother, so they're not undergoing the stress of changing their environment, changing their diet, changing the location. So a lot of times we'd say they wouldn't be at very high risk for respiratory disease, but, but if you have an outbreak, it can be quite frustrating. One of the things that we think is going on there is 
calves receive a nice protection from colostrum when you know right after they're born that protection that they get from their mother's colostrum peaks you know shortly after they're born but then it declines over time and one of the things that if you measure it out they decline right about now <laughs> where those calves are no longer being protected by the colostrum but they're still young enough they really haven't developed their own immunity to some of these viruses and bacteria that can cause respiratory disease and so they're kind of in this window here where their protection from their mother is is declining and they haven't built their own protection and so even though they're not really that ex it's not a high exposure their protection is pretty low right now so it's low exposure but lower protection so that passive immunity in the colostrum comes in the form of proteins and those proteins degrade over time so one of the reasons it may be the biggest best doing calves is because they're the oldest they've been alive the longest their immunity has dropped down as they've gone forward so any any thoughts on anything we can do to manage or prevent this no and we keep we keep using the word frustrating because it is as you kind of mentioned at the beginning it doesn't really act like traditional respiratory disease and you know it it isn't as common so that that the one i guess if there's a if there's positive a to this conversation is you know it it we don't see it as commonly and we certainly don't see it's not very predictable which adds to the frustrating part i i've heard different people talk about pre-weaning pneumonia from the you know from kind of the microbiology side and we don't really even think it's it's the same bacteria and viruses but maybe not the same progression of those and so i i've when i've heard people talk about summer pneumonia uh, they often talk about coronavirus as as being kind of a bigger component of that pre-weaning pneumonia uh, we we think coronavirus contributes to kind of traditional BRD too, but it seems to have a more prominent role in addition to what Bob mentioned about we've got this immunity, the passive immunity that's dropping and our our host immunity hasn't quite risen up to the level of being protective. So I, I think there's probably just, there's some things we don't know. We haven't quite figured out the whole pathway of what happens. And so it makes it difficult because then we don't know how to manage it very well. I think excellent, excellent points. And just to put some numbers on those, uh, to you talk about less common in the research that we've done in the past, about one in five herds will have a problem with pre-weaning BRD. And within those herds, about 15%, a max of 15% of the calves are affected. And you said it looks a little bit different. Often we have what we would say high, relatively high morbidity or a relatively high number of calves that get treated, but very few of them die and they may have high fevers. So a little bit different than what we see in regular BRD. Well, I was going to ask, you know, a lot of ranches will um, brand and, and vaccinate and uh, calves that first um, respiratory vaccine around three months of age. Does that make a difference if we get that vaccine in them early, that early in the, their uh, life? It, it might. And it's, it's one of the few tools we have that might work. Um, and it probably... And, and the reason I'm not as positive and enthusiastic as probably I would like to be is that uh, young animals don't respond to vaccines as well as slightly older animals. So that animal, by the time he's seven, eight months of age, he'll have a nearly adult type of response to vaccines, which is what we want, is a really good response. When he's really young, that two-month-of-age, we don't tend to see as good of a response, but it's not zero. And so that's why... There might be some value in, in vaccinating that young calf. You probably do stimulate some immunity, not as good as if he was older, but the problem is I don't have a lot of other tools. So it's kind of the tool that I have that has the potential to help, 
But and this becomes frustrating then if I'm the veterinarian working with that ranch and we institute some viral vaccines at branding time or uh, pasture turnout time, I haven't completely gotten rid of the risk that this could happen here in July or August. It still could. But the other side of it is not all calves receive a good dose of colostrum from their mother. That's the maybe the positive of this strategy is those calves are most likely to respond better than their calf mates that got a good dose of colostrum. So that it's, it's a tool. It's better than nothing. It's not as good as I would like it to be, but it, but, but again, it's kind of one of those problems is I, I am trying to stimulate immunity, but this isn't the best age to do it. Just to argue with Bob a little bit, I think it can be a good, but it's not all the same, right? We're lumping together. We said, should we vaccinate them at that branding time, two to three months of age? Well, A, not all vaccines are the same. And some vaccines, both, both with what they contain, viruses or bacteria, and then type, modified live or killed. This is an area, work with your veterinarian, come up with a plan that works for your operation so that you're using them on label. Some of those vaccines have been shown, if you give them to a calf that's three months old, he'll still have some components of that immunity by the time you get to weaning, which is great. But that's not what we do, right? When we, get, when we say, okay, we're bringing them in when the calves are three months old, does that mean when the oldest calves are three months old? Which means some of the new ones may still wet, right? They're coming through and they're just born. Or does it mean when the youngest is three months old, in which case I'd expect a very different result. So this is one of the cases the intricacies, I think, make a huge difference. And when we lump everything together, we go, I don't know if it works or not. If we do it well... I think there is some value. Is it going to fix this problem? Not by itself. It's, it's sure not. And some of the risk factors that, that were identified in some of the previous research that I think are important to think about were exposure to outside calves, like stalkers, right? Did I have stalkers grazing next to my herd? That was a risk factor, as well as some other management criteria. So we can uh, put some links up on the website to discuss further on this. Certainly appreciate you guys' insight and opinions on the pre-weaning BRD because it is a frustrating disease. We've enjoyed having you with us today and enjoyed getting a chance to visit with you. As always, we enjoy your questions. If you want to send us a question, you can shoot us an email at bci at ksu.edu. Mm-hmm.